from here in the Holy Land. Welcome to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. I'm your host, Yael Eckstein, President and CEO of the International Fellowship of Christians and Jews. Each week, we'll explore the Jewish roots of your Christian faith and nourish those roots with inspirational insights and ancient teachings that are so relevant to our lives today. Let's get started. On today's podcast, we're going to explore a difficult topic, a question that is as old as time. Why do bad things happen to good people? It's hard to watch good people suffer. And with the war in Ukraine and all of the innocent people suffering these days, this question is on a lot of our minds. We're going to look today in the book of Leviticus at a time of tragedy when Aaron lost his two oldest sons, and we'll talk about how to respond as people of faith when life just doesn't make any sense anymore. Spoiler alert, I don't have all the answers, but I do have some Jewish teachings that will explain a lot and some powerful insights that will soothe your soul. Every week, Jews around the world read and study the same Torah portion known as the Parsha. This week's Parsha is called Shmini, which means eighth, and it covers chapters 9 through 11 in the book of Leviticus. Last week's Parsha ended with seven days of inauguration for the newly constructed tabernacle. This week's Parsha begins on the eighth day, the day that the priests began their service. Aaron and his sons, the priests of Israel, offered sacrifices just as God had directed them to. God's glory appeared to all the people, and a divine fire consumed the offerings. Can you imagine that? Leviticus 9.24 tells us, When all the people saw it, they shouted for joy. It was an extremely joyful moment for all of Israel, a special and happy day. But then something tragic happened. Aaron's two oldest sons, two of the most righteous men of the generation, brought an unauthorized offering, and as a result, they were instantly killed by God's fire. The verse I want to hone in on today tells us what happened next. It's in Leviticus 10.3, and I'll read it now. Moses then said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke of when he said, Among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. Aaron remained silent. The message that Moses gave to Aaron is a bit cryptic, and there are different opinions about what it meant. But what is clear in this verse is how Aaron responded. The verse tells us that Aaron was completely silent. Now, if the Bible told us every time that someone didn't say anything, it would be a very, very long book. It would go on and on forever. So the question we need to ask ourselves is why the Bible tells us that Aaron was silent. Certainly, we could have figured that out on our own if the Bible moved on to the next verse without telling us specifically that Aaron said something. The rabbis explain that the Bible tells us that Aaron was silent because in this instance, Aaron's silence actually said a lot. It said more than words could ever say. His silence was an expression of complete faith and acceptance of God's will, even as he experienced the tragic and painful loss of his righteous children. 
wow, not many people would react that way. The Bible emphasizes that Aaron was silent because there was something that he could have said, something that most people would have said, but he didn't. And what might he have said at that very moment? Probably what most of us have said at some point in our lives. Why, God? Why did this have to happen? As people of faith, we believe that God is good. So when we see something terrible happen, something that seems so out of line with God's goodness and his promises, it's natural to ask, why? Why does God allow the innocent to suffer? Why hasn't God answered my prayers? Why does God allow so much injustice? Why doesn't God prevent tragic accidents? The questions go on and on and on. In the Jewish faith, we are encouraged to ask these questions, not to bury them, but to explore them. I love this quote from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. He said, We are closer to God when we are asking questions than when we think that we have all the answers. Asking questions is not at odds with our faith. It's a way of deepening our faith and coming closer to God. Recently, I recorded a podcast with Bishop Paul Lanier, who many of you recognize as the chairman of the Fellowship Board and a longtime donor and friend of the Fellowship. During our conversation, the bishop talked about an extremely difficult time in his life and how he questioned why God wasn't helping him in the way that he wanted. But listen to how he described this questioning. He said, I was wrestling. I wasn't wrestling against God. I was in God wrestling. He described the questioning as a conversation with God, and that conversation only strengthened his relationship with him. We are all in a relationship with God, and like every good relationship, we need to communicate, especially when we are feeling hurt, sad, or angry. I once heard it put this way, it's okay to question God, just don't do it behind his back. Aaron didn't ask questions, but plenty of righteous and holy people have. In Genesis 18, 25, Abraham asked, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? In Exodus 5, 22, Moses asked, Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on the people? And in Jeremiah 12, 1, the prophet asked, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? These questions and all the other variations of them can be summed up in one timeless question. Why do bad things happen to good people and why do good things happen to bad people? According to Jewish tradition, this is exactly what Moses wanted to know in Exodus 33:18 when he said to God, "Show me your glory." He wanted to understand God's ways, how a world that looks so unfair could possibly be just and good. And God gave him an answer. He said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. There's a lot to unpack here, but first I want to tell you a story that I think will help us understand God's answer. According to Jewish tradition, Elijah the prophet never died. The Bible says that he was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, but it never actually says that he died. 
So in the Jewish tradition, we have many stories where Elijah speaks to people or intervenes in the world on God's behalf. Whether or not these stories really happened is not nearly as important as the lessons that they teach us. The story that I want to tell you is about a rabbi named Yehoshua who lived about a thousand years after Elijah, but according to tradition, he was able to communicate with the prophet. One time he asked Elijah if he could accompany him on his daily mission so that he could learn from him about serving God. Elijah was hesitant and told Yehoshua that he wouldn't understand what he saw, but Yehoshua insisted and Elijah agreed to let him tag along for a few days on one condition that he would only observe and not ask questions. If Yehoshua questioned anything, the journey would have to end. Elijah and Yehoshua dressed up as paupers and began their journey. And the first night they knocked on the door of a rundown home and asked if they could spend the night. They were welcomed in by a sweet elderly couple, simple people who didn't have much, but were happy to share whatever they had. They were extremely kind and generous to their guests. The next day, before they left, Elijah prayed that the couple's only cow would die that very day. Yoshua was shocked. The cow was the most important possession that the couple owned. Most of their livelihood came from the cow's milk, which they sold to local households. Yoshua couldn't understand. Why did Elijah pray for such a terrible thing to happen to such good people? But as he promised, he didn't ask any questions. That night, Elijah and Yoshua came to the home of a wealthy man who lived in a large mansion and had everything anyone could ever want. They asked the man if they could spend the night, and he agreed, but very reluctantly. And even though he had plenty of food and a personal chef, he didn't offer his guests even one bite to eat. The next day, as they were leaving the man's property, Elijah stopped at an outer wall of the mansion that had a crack in it. He prayed that the wall would be restored and not crumble. Again, Yoshua was confused. Why would Elijah pray on behalf of this man who was so stingy and unkind? But he said nothing. The journey continued with similar instances. Elijah prayed for bad things to happen to the good people they met, and then he prayed for good things to happen to unkind and unhospitable people that they encountered. Finally, Yoshua just couldn't keep quiet anymore. He said to Elijah, I don't understand. Why have you been blessing the bad people and cursing the good people? None of this makes any sense. So Elijah explained. At the home of the elderly couple, Elijah foresaw that the wife was destined to die the next day. He prayed that God would take the cow instead and let the kind woman live. At the home of the man, Elijah saw that there was a treasure buried inside the cracked wall. He prayed that the wall will stay intact so that the evil man would never find the valuable treasure. Elijah explained all of his prayers and actions on the journey. On the surface, they all seemed unjust and just plain wrong. But when he explained the unseen context of each scenario, it became clear that everything he did was just and right. Elijah had prayed for exactly what each person deserved. And so it is with God and the journey of our lives. A lot of things we see don't make sense to us. But if we knew what God knows, if we saw the unseen context of each event, everything would make perfect sense. 
Now we can understand God's answer to Moses in Exodus 33. Let's take it line by line. The first thing that God says is, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. In other words, I will have mercy on the people that I know are deserving of mercy. You may not think that they deserve it, but I know what you don't know. I see what you don't see. When we look at the world, we may think that we know who is righteous and deserving, and we know who is wicked and not deserving. But the truth is that we have no idea who is good and who isn't. How often has it come out that someone who you thought was righteous was doing horrible things all along? As human beings, we don't have the ability to accurately judge anyone. But God does. God knows the future and the past, and he sees straight to the heart. His judgments are always perfect. The second thing that God says is, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God says, I will have compassion, what I know to be true compassion, and those who are deserving of my compassion. What you may think is cruel, I know to be kind. Like we saw in the story, what looks like a terrible curse can really be a great blessing. On the other hand, what we may think is a blessing isn't really such a good thing after all. We don't always know what is truly good for us and what is bad for us. And we certainly don't know what is good or bad for someone else. But God does. God knows exactly what will help each person. And he also knows how to bring the wicked to justice. We might look around and see a world that seems to be unfair. But in reality, we don't know enough about each person and each circumstance to make that judgment call. And we also don't know what the future will bring. How what we think is a curse today can turn into a blessing in the future, or vice versa. There's so much we don't know, but here's what we do know. We know that God is good, so we can trust in that spite of how things seem, everything is for the best. Everything we've said so far can help us with a lot of what seems confusing and unfair in life. It can help us to be happy with our own circumstances and stop comparing our life to anyone else's. It can help us stay at peace when it seems like nice people have it hard while unkind people have an easy life. But where a lot of us still get stuck is when it comes to the more serious things in life. Pain, suffering, death, especially if someone young. This is what Aaron was dealing with in this week's Parsha. He lost two children, and losing a child is a lot more difficult to understand than losing a lot of money or a big opportunity. I know I've struggled with this many times. Every time there's a terrorist attack in Israel that claims the life of a young person, and most recently while watching the terrible suffering and loss of life happening in Ukraine. One time that I had a particularly hard time was a few years ago when there was a tragedy involving a group of teenagers on a class trip in the south of Israel. I heard about the tragedy first on the news. A school took a trip down south and while the teens were hiking, there was an unexpected flash flood. The kids tried to climb to safety, but unfortunately, not all of them were able to do so and a few of them lost their lives. About an hour later, I learned that one of those children who perished in the flood was the daughter of my son's kindergarten teacher. His teacher is one of the nicest people I have ever met. 
She's a person of faith and the kind of person who's always looking for ways to help other people. Her daughter, Romy, was just as special. She was beautiful, sweet, and kind. She was 18 years old, just starting her life. She was always part of the kindergarten. And now, after an innocent class trip, she was gone forever. She was such a good person, always doing for other people, always helping, always smiling. How could this be? It was a lot to wrap my head around. And indeed, my first reaction was exactly that. How could this be? How in the world could this happen? How could God let this happen? When these kinds of things happen, it can be very difficult to understand how everything God does is kind and just. And that's when we need to look at the third phrase in God's answer to Moses in Exodus 33. God said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then he said, but you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. God was saying that as long as we are living, we won't be able to see him clearly and understand his ways. We aren't supposed to understand everything that we see in our lifetime. It's just not possible. But as people of faith, we believe in an afterlife, in life after life. And in that place, everything makes sense. We have no idea what reward someone may receive in eternity. And we have no concept of how God meets out justice in the afterlife. And we definitely don't know why God may call a soul back home earlier than we would have liked. We simply cannot understand God's ways. As God says in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are perfect. And there is a good answer for every single question we have. But we may need to wait months, years, or even a lifetime to receive them. I want to share a story that has given me a lot of strength and comfort when I've seen tragedies, like when my son's teacher lost her daughter, and I had a hard time making sense of it. A great rabbi from the 12th century, known as Maimonides, had a student who was very sick and on the verge of death. Maimonides was at his bedside, and moments before he died, Maimonides asked him for a favor. He said, Dear student, I have taught you everything I can, and now I'd like to ask you a favor. Here's a list of questions I've never been able to resolve. These questions address matters of faith, suffering of the righteous, and other similar issues. When you go to heaven, please ask for answers to my questions and return to me in a dream to relay the answers. The student agreed to this mission, and soon after, he passed away. For months, Maimonides waited anxiously for his student to appear in his dream. Then, late one night, after falling asleep, the student appeared to him. Maimonides asked his student, Do you have the answers to my questions? The student said, My dear master, I must tell you the truth. I did as you asked. I stood in heaven and began to read your list, but as I was reading them, I fell silent. I realized that from where I was standing... There were no questions. Friends, we only have questions because we can't see the whole picture from where we are standing right now. But there will be a time, maybe in 10 years or maybe only in an afterlife, 
when we will see what we can't see right now. And then everything will make perfect sense. At that point, like Aaron, we will be silent. We won't have any questions because it will be crystal clear that God's ways are perfect and that everything that happened was for the best. I'm the kind of person that is always looking for answers, but I've learned to accept that there are some questions that we just can't answer right now. And that's okay, because we don't need to have all the answers to have faith in God. We can say, I don't understand you, God, but I trust you. We can trust that God knows what he's doing. We can find peace in knowing that he loves us more than we can ever imagine. And we can rest in the knowledge that everything is happening according to God's perfect plan. In Deuteronomy 32.4, we read, He is the rock, his works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. This verse reminds us that no matter how chaotic or confusing things may seem, God's ways are always perfect and just. This week, let's rest in that knowledge. Can you think of a time in your life when something that seemed bad turned out to be a good thing? How might that strengthen your faith when you face challenges in the future? Or maybe you can have a conversation with God or write him a letter. Ask him all of your questions. Talk to him about all the things you don't understand. Then rest in his peace, knowing that the answers will be revealed when the time is right, in God's time. Friends, remember this. Comfort is not found in knowing all the answers. It's found in knowing that we don't have to. Shavuot tov, my friends. Have a wonderful week from here in the Holy Land. Thank you for listening to the Nourish Your Biblical Roots podcast. If you like what you have heard, visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. You can also follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next week.